Okay, good morning everybody. And now I have a speaker, so I guess I'm uh, able to be heard. So a lot of new faces, uh, so let me do a quick introduction. My name is Sean, my wife Devin, and this is adult Sunday school. So what are we doing in adult Sunday school? Apologetics. Um, does anyone not know what apologetics means? We'll start from there. Awesome, good. So why am I here doing apologetics? Um, if you guys attended the apologetics conference with Alan Schlemmen with Stand to Reason, uh, he and I went to the same school. We both graduated from Talbot School of Theology. And God was yelling at me after uh, Alan came that, hey, we have a full-time you know, apologist that has the same degree, went to the same school, trained by the same people, just sitting here warming a pew. I'm like, okay, God, <laughs> I get it. Well, Ben has also been yelling at me for about eight years uh, to start this class as well. You're a little stubborn, aren't you? <laughs> just, just a tad. <laughs> just, just a little bit. So, um, what are we going to be covering? We're going to be covering the basic tenets of apologetics, which is defending our faith. Um, and I went over, I don't want to go over the, the whole outline again, but what we're doing now is the existence of God. And last week, my buddy Gabe gave me a really great uh, idea that I should present these topics in different levels. Um, we can start at a college level, then high school, middle school, and then maybe a primary school level. Because last week, uh, my lovely bride also pointed out that we, a lot of folks were just kind of glazing over. It was a, a ton of information. So we're going to review it, but we're going to um, simplify things a little bit. Basically make it into the, um, what do they call it, an elevator speech, where you'd be able to explain it to anybody if someone asks about your faith and why you end up believing in God. So the first tenet of why God exists. Have you ever asked yourself where the universe came from? Why is it even here at all? Right? Why everything or anything exists instead of just nothing? Anyone ever wondered that? Maybe before you were saved? So, or even after you're saved. So, why does the universe exist? Well, there's a couple plausible um, answers for that question. If you're a Christian, like we are, why does the universe exist? Well, God created it, right? If you're an atheist, why does the universe exist? They have an entirely different answer. Their answer is, it always existed. It always was. Well, there's problems with that view. Um, the main problem is you can't, have, you can't have the universe always existing. If the universe itself was eternal and it always existed, that means every event leading up to it is infinite. Does that make sense so far? So how is having an infinite number of events a problem? Let me pose a math question. What's infinity minus infinity? Right, you get a self-contradictory answer. So the issue is infinity is just a construct in our mind. It doesn't exist in the real place. So if it can't exist in the real place, how can the universe have infinite number of causes, right? Does that, does that make sense so far? So we have to postulate in that case that the universe had to have had a cause. Someone had to have wound up this machine and paid for the gas to get it going, right? 
And that person we as Christians attribute to God. So with that, we have to have an uncaused first cause. We'll get into that later because people are going to ask, well, if you say the universe can't have infinity, how can God have infinity? We'll get into that. It'll it'll be a, a little while down the road. Okay, the next point as far as the existence of God. Now, we know intelligent life on this planet is extremely fine-tuned, right? What do I mean by extremely fine-tuned? It is an almost certain impossibility to it have happened by itself. The, The odds are so astronomically high, it doesn't even make sense to try and imagine it. Dr. Mike gave an example, I think it was last week. So when we take up the lookup of a human body, right? Our body is made up of specific proteins, millions of them. Now, what are the odds of one of those proteins happening by themselves? Let's see, let me get Mike's example correctly. Um, He said if we were to fill up the world, uh, like a swimming pool with silver dollars, it would be 10 feet high, was that right, Mike? It'd be 10 feet high. And in order to get the odds of getting one of those proteins correct, you would have to, and one of those silver dollars would be a gold silver dollar, gold dollar, not silver dollar. And so imagine the entire world filled up with silver dollars to a level of 10 feet high as if it were a swimming pool. One of them is a gold dollar inside of it. You have to dive into this thing, grab the gold dollar, but you only have one chance to get it right. Those are the odds of just one protein of the human body being able to happen by itself without a specific designed cause. So are, are you guys with me yet as far as the, the insanity of trying to explain the universe without the creator? It, it can't make sense. And we'll get into why atheists end up doing it that way, okay? So the next point we went over last week was we can summarize the existence of God based on objective moral values. Now, what do I mean by objective moral values? Well, we know ubiquitously some things are just wrong, regardless of what culture or race or creed you come from. Some things are always, always wrong. Murder is always, always wrong, right? Some folks have said, well, there are tribes in Africa that murder. Yes, that's true. They do. Okay, there are tribes in South America that murder. Yes. However, if someone comes in and murders their tribe or their mother or their loved one, it's wrong to that tribe. You see what I'm saying? There are some objective moral values that are always wrong. So if we have objective morals, doesn't that conclude that we have an objective moral lawgiver? Right? Where do the objective morals come from? My kids laugh um, because I've always taught them whenever anyone uses the, the crazy statement, there are no absolutes or there are no absolute morals. You don't say anything. You just punch that person in the face. That's it. Kids are like, why would you do that? Because the person that you punched in the face, they, if they say, make the statement, there are no objective moral values, they can't tell me it's wrong for you to punch me in the face. All they can say is, I prefer you don't punch me in the face. And my response is, I don't care. It's right for me at the time. Do you guys see the ludicrousness of, of fault that follows from not having any objective moral values? 
So the next part, and we didn't get into this last week, and we'll get into it now. Why the existence of God makes sense. So God makes sense of the historical facts concerning the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. The historical person of Jesus of Nazareth was truly a remarkable individual. Atheist and Christian alike, even on the absolute fringe of atheism, they still do not deny, at least the ones that are credible, they do not deny the existence of Jesus of Nazareth, that the actual historical person existed. They may deny what transpired during those 33 years of ministry, but they cannot deny that he actually existed. New Testament critics have reached something of a consensus that the historical Jesus came on the scene with an unprecedented sense of divine authority, the authority to stand and speak in God's place. If he didn't come on the presence uh, with divine authority, why were the Jews so absolutely bent to crucify him? Because what he was speaking, what he was doing in their eyes was complete blasphemy. Why? Well, because he was claiming to be God himself. As uh, C.S. Lewis once put it in his book, Mere Christianity, he said, we have three things here for the existence of Christ and his claims. Either Christ was exactly who he said he was, he was a liar, or he was crazy, as I love how Lewis puts it, he was on the level of a man claiming to be a deviled egg. Okay? So, We'll get into the, the part as far as Christ, exactly who uh, he said he was. The next part is, was he a liar? Well, that's rather difficult um, to accept that if he was a liar, because even these folks that deny that Christ was God in flesh, they do not deny that Jesus was a very good and moral man. Islam affirms that Jesus was a prophet of God, a good and moral man. So I ask you this question. We uh, um, went over objective morality. So if someone is a good and moral man, how can he be a liar? That doesn't work. The next part, was Jesus truly insane? Well, that doesn't work either because we go back to what his claims were. And if he was truly insane, then why would anyone believe him to begin with? If Jesus did rise from the dead, it would seem that we have an actual divine miracle on our hands. And we have to deal with where that miracle came from, what caused it. Now, most people would probably think that the resurrection of Christ is something you just accept on faith or not. But there are actually three established facts recognized by the majority of New Testament historians. So fact number one, Jesus' tomb was found empty by a group of women followers on Sunday morning. That is a historical fact. There are non-Christian authors that record this fact. Um, historians, two come to mind. The first one, his name is Josephus. The other one is named Suetonius. These are historical writers that wrote the fact that the tomb was empty. Okay, So, how do we deal with the empty tomb? We have a couple explanations that have been posited uh, by critics throughout the years. The first one was that perhaps the disciples rolled away the stone and took Jesus' body. Okay? 
How plausible is that explanation? Does anyone have a guess as far as the size and the weight of this stone? It was, Mike? Yeah, about that. It was about two tons, 4,000 pounds, okay? Let us not forget, what was in front of the stone? Mm -hmm. And it was sealed. So the armed guards are important, okay? Because folks have said, well, maybe the guards fell asleep. No, 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 not these ones. These ones were under penalty of death, okay? They took their position extremely seriously. So for the disciples to overtake these basically Navy SEALs at this point uh, for Rome is highly, highly unlikely. The other fact is, so if Jesus... uh, was just taken from the tomb and and the disciples rolled away the stone, what sense does that make? Why would the disciples at this point willingly die for what they know to be a lie? And this wasn't just an easy death from these guys. Think of how they died. Crucified upside down, drawn and quartered, stoned to death, sawn in half. Okay, These guys were martyred in horrific, horrific ways. Is, does anyone in this room willing to die for what you know to be a lie? No. That, there's nothing about that that makes any sense. The other um, reasons that have been postulated as far as the empty tomb is, well, perhaps Jesus himself, without the aid of the disciples, came, woke up in the middle of the tomb, and he rolled away the stone, remember, 4,000 pounds, sealed, overcame two armed Roman guards and proceeded to walk roughly about five miles before he was seen on recently crucified angles. That doesn't fit either. I tell you what, after you know, a 10-mile bike ride, my legs are like jello and I'm not walking anywhere, <laughs> let alone recently crucified ankles. That doesn't fit. So what's the other plausible explanation? Exactly what the scriptures record that Jesus was miraculously raised from the dead. Fact number two, on separate occasions, different individuals and groups saw appearances of Jesus alive after his death. So according to Gerd L. Demon, it's a prominent German New Testament critic, not a Christian, it may, quote, it may be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. These appearances were witnessed not only by believers, but also by unbelievers, skeptics, and even enemies. This is a New Testament critic saying this. Fact number three. The original disciples suddenly came to believe in the resurrection of Jesus despite having every predisposition to the contrary. Think of the situation the disciples faced following Jesus' crucifixion. One, their leader was dead. How demoralized are they going to be at that point? And Jewish messianic expectations included no idea of a Messiah who, instead of triumphing over Israel's enemies, would be shamefully executed by them as a criminal. There's nothing in the uh, rabbinical writings that would indicate that would be the Jewish Messiah. Number two, Jewish beliefs about the afterlife precluded anyone's rising from the dead to glory. And immortality before the general resurrection of the dead at the end of the world. However, nevertheless, the disciples so strongly came to believe 
that Christ was exactly who he said he was and that he uh, rose bodily from the dead, that they were willing to risk everything, including their lives, especially their lives, to go and share this particular message. Attempts to explain away these three great facts, like I went over, the disciples stole the body or Jesus wasn't really dead, they have been universally rejected by contemporary scholarship. Um, most logical thinkers reject all of that, especially the one that Jesus wasn't really dead. That's, that's crazy. Okay. Um, we have one physician in here. Let me ask you guys, if you were to pierce someone and what pours out is water and blood, what has happened to that person? Why would water and blood pour out at the same time? Exactly, right? The heart has completely stopped, the blood is coagulated, and, what is ha- and plasma and red blood cells are separated at that point. That is what caused that. That has been a historically verified fact as well, apart from Christian writers. So the next part that we're going to go over, uh, let me summarize it as this. So here's the philosophical the brief philosophical arguments as far as why God exists. Number one, God makes sense of the origin of the universe. It doesn't make any sense in any shape for the universe to have always been. Or it doesn't make sense to not have a personal creator to create the universe. Let me explain further. If we have no origin, if four and a half billion years ago, a cosmic burp produced now us, what is the purpose of life? Why? Why are we even here? Why do we even try to behave morally? What's the point? If it feels good, do it, right? Eat, be free, marry, happy. If you want to party, party. Well, we're kind of experiencing that now in today's culture, and we're seeing the effects of it. Does any good come from that type of idea? Any societal good? I'd say no. Number two, God makes sense of the fine-tuning of the universe for intelligent life. Let me give you this example. Does anyone disagree that intelligent life, meaning you know, animals, uh, heck, even amoebas on this planet, us, do you guys, does anyone not agree that that is a very, very complex mechanism? So we're all on the same page there. Okay, how is it possible for this cell phone to just appear completely assembled and working on this table. 100 years, can it happen? A million years? Let's go further, a billion? No, it can't. You see, the magic wand for the atheist is time, right? They say, well, given enough time, it's possible. No, it's not. Because the probability, the mathematical probability still isn't there. Even if I had all the individual parts and pieces for this cell phone laid out on this table and I wait long enough, 100,000 years or whatnot, well, we know we lived in a closed system universe. There's one very important um, law of thermodynamics and physics that's going to make this an improbability, an impossibility. What's that? Yeah, the law of entropy, the second law of thermodynamics. Is this going to get better by itself as I leave it alone. Let me ask you, is your car or your truck get better if you just leave it alone for years and years and years? What happens to it? 
Yeah, it decays. It breaks down. So number three, God makes sense. Mm-hmm. Even if you put energy to that phone, if you take it apart, put it in a can, and start shaking it, and putting energy into it, right? it's going to, it's going to degrade faster. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You're absolutely right. Then the third point. Yes? Um, I asked my professor that question uh-huh. one time. Um, I have a, a master's in biology, not a master's in zoology, but uh-huh. she said that she's an evolutionist. Okay. And she said that um, there's order in the earth, and order is happening in the earth, but it's due to disorder, hap- more disorder happening saying that there's order that we're seeing happening in the earth, but even though it doesn't disobey, it doesn't disobey the law of entropy because it's causing more disorder in the universe. What would you say to that? Yeah, I, I once had a similar um, theory posited by me from, from my secular professors as well. Uh, the idea comes from what's called chaos theory, right? That there are random acts in the universe However, with the, the functioning that we have of our supercomputers today that are able to calculate and to map out actual chaos, it's not chaos at all. It's quite ordered. It is nothing about it is random. And then the idea when you think about, okay, so order is coming out of disorder. In what logical world does that make any sense? It doesn't at, at all. There, there's no point at which that makes any sense. Um, Let me give the example that led to my salvation. I was at UCLA. I was in my second year of medical school. Um, There's a backstory to this. I'll tell you this guy's later. But basically, I'm in the same type of class. And the professor says, in the beginning, nothing exploded, produced everything. There was a lot more scientific speak than that. Yes, Mr. Kirk. Did you just say nothing exploded and produced everything? Yes, sir. Seriously? Yeah. I'm paying $63,000 a year to hear nothing exploded and produced everything? Yes, sir. Wow, okay. So a couple things. My best friend is in the CIA, and we've gotten to play with some very, very cool explosives, right? I've never seen an explosion produce anything. And from nothing, nothing comes. I mean, that is just quite simple logic. So we'll get into that, though, as far as why. Why do they posit such absurd logical jumps in order to explain away the existence of God. And you were an agnostic at that time, or atheist? Uh, well, <laughs> I thought I was an atheist, but technically it would be an agnostic, yeah. And then we went over God makes sense of the objective moral values in the world. And we know that from the examples that we gave. You have to have, uh, and everyone in the world uh, accepts that there are objective morals. God makes sense of life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Okay, so here's the atheist outline um, dealing with the topic of the lack of belief in God. This is why they try to say that there is no God. So what does lack of belief in God mean? Well, let's define lack. It means a deficiency or an absence of. Belief means acceptance and conviction that something is true and valid. So therefore, a lack of belief would basically mean 
an absence of belief that something is true. But even the meaning of the absence of belief is debatable. Someone can say, I have an absence of belief in screaming blue ants, but it's a meaningless statement. So you lack a belief in screaming blue ants. Who cares? Right? That doesn't mean anything. Screaming what? Blue ants. Is that a thing? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so if lack of belief, <laughs> if lack of belief is complete ignorance about something, then it is a state of non-awareness of it, right? It's not disproving the existence of the thing because you happen to have a lack of belief on it. Are, are you guys following me so far? So this would mean that it is not a purposeful chosen neutrality about something since this is an intellectual categorization that implies an awareness of a concept or a thing, even if that category is called neutrality. We lack belief in concepts we're not aware of, and we categorize and assess concepts that we are aware of. Let me further flesh this out. So if a lack of belief means that a person chooses not to make an intellectual commitment to a position but to remain intellectually neutral regarding belief or disbelief, that would actually be more logical. However, complete neutrality about a concept is impossible since all concepts have an effect upon the hearer and elicit a response, whether it be emotional and or intellectual. Do you know Ray Comfort's yes. answer? God doesn't believe in atheists. Right. The atheist <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm going to restate that for the recording. Um, Ray Comfort's answer to this is God doesn't believe in atheists, so, so therefore atheists don't exist. So what I'm saying it's impossible to have a complete neutrality um, on any type of concept. We are all going to be led one way or the other. We are all going to have presuppositional beliefs in our responses to this. There's no way around it. We as Christians have presuppositional beliefs that God exists. We are biased towards that. Atheists have presuppositional beliefs that God doesn't exist. They are biased towards that. So to say that you are completely neutral in any of those terms, it can't happen, right? So once you have been exposed to a concept, you categorize it as well, true, false, ridiculous, unsure, etc. Um, but you do not return to complete mental neutrality or a state of ignorance about it. So we do not lack belief of invisible pink unicorns. That is, we do not hold a mentally neutral position about the concept. We make a decision to categorize it as a couple of different ways. True, false, ridiculous, unsure, based upon our scope of knowledge and experience. And to the extent that this categorization occurs, belief or disbelief is actually associated with it. So if it is true, then positive belief is applied, right? If invisible pink unicorns exist, then someone can positively believe in their existence. If it's false, then disbelief, the positive belief that is false, is applied. If ridiculous, then disbelief, the positive belief that it is false, is applied. And if unsure, the belief and disbelief are pending in either as the outcome. So this is because we realize that belief in the concept, acceptance, is possible as also disbelief and rejection. So being unsure about something is as close to, quote, lack of belief as one can logically get. But even this is a categorization with a pending commitment of belief or disbelief. 
Let me go over this a little bit more. So actions reflect belief, right? We act based upon what we do believe, not upon what we do not believe. In other words, I do something because I believe, not because I don't believe. If I believe my house is on fire, I evacuate it. If I don't believe my house is on fire, I do nothing and stay there in my chair. Does that make sense? We only actively do something based on belief, not based on disbelief. I lack belief in concepts that I am unaware of. Therefore, I do not and cannot act based upon them since I am actually unaware of them. Does that make sense? I can't negatively act on something that doesn't exist or that I'm even not aware of. I can only act or not act based upon concepts that I am actually aware of. So if I believe that there are invisible pink unicorns, I would act accordingly and either defend their existence or behave in a manner consistent with the belief that they exist. If I believe that there are no such things as invisible pink unicorns, I may or may not depend or defend my position depending on the circumstances. But I do not promote their non-existence, right? What's the point? Since it's not necessary to do so any more than it is necessary to promote the assertion that there is no ice cream factory on Jupiter, okay? So can you guys see where I'm going here? If I do not believe in the existence of invisible pink unicorns, I'm not going to spend time promoting their non-existence. Why do atheists spend their time promoting the non-existence of God? You want the spiritual answer? Yes. <laughs> Because it's a spiritual battle being fought out in the heavens, and they just haven't been led to... Absolutely. <laughs> that they do not yet believe, yeah. right? And because they do not believe, they must defend why they don't. Right. If I'm unsure about the existence of these invisible pink unicorns, I would wait for further information before making any decision. That's the logical conclusion of that. In this, I would be agnostic about their existence. I would just be like, well, I'll just wait and see if invisible pink unicorns can be proven. So, if an atheist says that they lack belief in God, yet actively seeks to undermine theistic proofs and promote atheistic principles, we must conclude that his actions are consistent with his beliefs, namely, that he actively believes that God does not exist. Furthermore, if the atheist is actively promoting the non-existence of God, and yet says he lacks belief in God, then his words and actions are actually inconsistent at this point. Do you guys follow? Okay. There's no good reason, if he is truly convinced of the non-existence of God, for him to actively promote the non-existence of God. Then why did you? Why, why did, did I? You and you that's a, debate yep, that's a great question. So why did I actively promote the non-existence of God and debate Christians uh, in college? Was it because I completely 100% believed in the existence of God? Looking back now, no. I didn't believe in the non-existence of God. I hated the concept of God so much because it was in direct contradiction to my life at this point. I wanted justification for why I was the way I was. Pure and simple. I wanted... What's that, Margaret? Oh. Oh, no, go ahead, Mary. Oh, I was just going to say, I've also heard that people think it's a dangerous 
it's dangerous to think that you know, like, that absolute truth, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> because, and then they use history, right, which we talked about, I think, the first thing. Okay. Bit, you know, that, you know, and they believe, I think, at some level, that there would be peace if everyone was just in neutral. But there is no neutral, but, right. but that's kind of, some people, I think, hate the idea of God because they hate the idea that people hold these truths so dear that they're actually willing to be annoying about them. Mm -hmm. And they would they think that, you know, there would be peace yeah. should people not have that kind of solid thinking. Well, yeah, go ahead. I've even heard also that they say that they don't want people to be deceived. Okay. Just being or ignorant, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they promote the not belief of God because they don't want people to be and feel bad about their lives and their choices. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the question revolves their um, morals on others. Like, you know, adultery all of a sudden, like, can't do that. You know, mm -hmm. So we don't want that kind of restriction on our lives. So why not expose Christianity for the fraud that it is? I mean, that's... Right. And, and as everyone's getting at, and as I got at as well, you actively promote the non-existence of God because you need to justify your behaviors. You need to justify your actions. As Romans 1 clearly states, the invisible attributes of him are seen throughout the world, even as eternal power and Godhead. What do I mean by that? It means that we have inside of us, now this is a weak argument, don't use this one, but, but we have inside of us you know, an objective moral standard. We know inherently what is right and what is wrong, whether or not you are a Christian or not. When you are dis disobeying that moral standard at that point, there is a check in what is happening inside of you, Christian or non-Christian, okay? We know that we can look around at the universe and just pure logic dictates. This computer is here. Someone had to design it and build it. It's insane to think that this computer could just appear by itself on random acts. Yes? It's, it's a weak argument because it's a logical fallacy. It's, it's, the logical fallacy is I'm appearing to emotion, right? Um, so they can also use the, the same arguments, experiential arguments. So it, it's, um, it'll work for the person on the street. It won't work for your professor. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Gabe. Um, I, I think... This talking about like why they want to actively promote the non-existence of God, I think it works to rah-rah us. But I feel like if I'm talking to them, they're going to bring up, but you actively uh, campaign against stuff that they actually believe as well. Because, say, uh, same-sex marriage. Uh -huh. We don't believe same-sex marriage actually exists, right? because that's not, how, that's not how marriage is defined. Right. But yet we will actively oppose that. So if we're actively pulling it because we think it's a danger to society, what's different from that compared to them actively uh, campaigning against Christianity, which they believe is a danger to society? Great question. So the difference comes from, well, you have to have them prove their point, right? And we get caught up as Christians, and specifically as Christian apologists, that we take the burden of proof to prove the existence of God. Why? If you're going to posit that there is no God and you absolutely believe it, prove your point. It's unfair. It's a philosophical impossibility. You cannot prove the non-existence of a thing. 
right? But how is it different? Um, I would tweak Gabe's argument a little bit. I'm not saying that Christians don't believe that same-sex marriage exists. We do believe it exists. We just believe it is outside the laws of God. It is outside of what is defined to be marriage. So we're not believing in the non-existence of something, and we're not you know, using it to, to posit their ideas. If you take a look at, at what's happening here, Christian morals and Christian standards have been clearly defined throughout the ages. All, all, all or almost all of the atheists or agnostic tenets at this point are in just direct contradiction. It's just flipping them on their head. We're saying marriage is one man and one woman for all time. They're saying, no, marriage is whatever you want to marry. Marriage is defined by whatever you love at that point. And that comes to be some pretty horrific consequences because we have some very perverse ideas of how people define love, right? Atheists who say that they lack belief in God or disbelieve in God yet actively attack theistic proofs and seek to promote atheism and their lack of belief it's more consistent to say that the atheist who supports and promotes the idea that there is no God but attacks theistic pieces of evidence must believe that there is no God. To say that you believe there is no God has a couple problems. Okay, if I make this, this statement, I believe there is no God, I have made a conscious choice, right? Does everyone agree on that one? It's a conscious decision. This is not a subconscious thing. I'm actively saying there is no God then on what would the atheist be basing his belief that there is no God? Evidence? No, we already posited that's not possible. Lack of evidence? Well, that doesn't make any sense. You just don't know. Logic, faith, combination of them all? So if evidence, then what positive evidence is there that disproves God's existence? I'll wait. What's that? Okay, how so? No, we won't for, for a while. So, you brought up science. If there is positive evidence that disproves God's existence, how can evolutionary theory disprove God's existence? It has to be able to prove that it, was cur- that it happened on its own. Exactly. So everybody can't hear what they're saying. Uh, thanks, Margaret. Um, so, so I asked... With evolution, and we'll get into that in a few more classes, um, but how can evolutionary theory disprove the existence of God? In order to disprove the existence of God, evolutionary theory would have to unequivocally prove that it can happen apart from any uncaused cause. It can happen inside of itself without any additional energy added to it or any additional design added to it. Okay? Or it can begin even. Or it can begin even, right, what Gabe said. So that is going to be very, very problematic, right? Uh, Let's see. If lack of evidence, then it means he has not yet seen all of the evidence, and there might be sufficient evidence to demonstrate that God does exist. This would mean that God may indeed exist, and the person is really an agnostic concerning God. So his atheistic position is inconsistent with his statement, and that was me during that time. If logic, then what logical proof do you have that negates God's existence? At best, logic can only disprove theistic proofs. Are you with me? It cannot prove that God doesn't exist. It can, it is plausible, however, to weaken our arguments for the existence of God. 
but standing alone by itself, it cannot disprove the existence of God. Does that make sense? Okay. Exactly. That exactly. All you have to do with an atheist is get them to acknowledge that they don't know everything about everything. Right. As soon as they as soon as they acknowledge that and admit that they're really agnostic. Right. Right. And Mary, you got a question? Yeah, so it's kind of a statement, but sometimes they'll try to use trying to prove evolution on this planet with all the design around it. Uh And they'll try to get some chemical to connect in some way to some other chemical, and they'll be like, see inside this, like they missed that whole part, but inside this already structured system, we were able to get one thing maybe to connect to one other thing with all the perfect things. But, and they'll try to use that as a sign that, you know, these, that evolution is possible. But even if they could, even if in some sense they could prove that, they, they still have to prove all the physics right. that happened by itself. So even when they think they can do that, because there's actually literally scientists saying, like, I've watched those science programs where they'll make a thing of soup and the guy will be like, you just add this and you just add that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and they add yeast, <laughs> which is already a thing. But in a lot of people's minds, right, they don't realize he added a living organism that was already designed. And then right. all this stuff happens. And so they just make that leap. So then they, they really think they saw that evolution is possible. But even at that, there's still a whole... Right. And, and that's the hard part. It's just, yeah. Yeah, it's hard when people think they saw it. Yeah. Because they, they didn't mean to believe, but they, in their mind, they saw a pink unicorn. Right. Right. And so they they believe that, and they, they don't believe it. And, and fighting that, can, or not fighting that, but right. trying to bring a discussion can be hard because they already feel like right. they just misunderstood. But right. Lori? Going back to his point, how do you, how do you um, make that leap from explaining, like, I think most people are agnostic and don't realize it. How do you get them to make that leap? What, what direction would you go with that? I'm an atheist. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. What would you, how would you, or how would you lead them along that path to be like, to, to flush that out? Yeah. I just want to say, like, Living Waters is really good, and they do a lot of things. They've gone to college campuses and interviewed biology professors, and Try to get them to explain it and so much. Right. So, yeah. Right. So, yeah. 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 So, the the this links this science. Yeah. Well, what would Columbo say? Exactly. Thank you, Gabe. <laughs> and, that, and that's where I was getting at. So you you're gonna go around in circles with this conversation for hours. You know, ad infinitum. If you're just gonna keep going proof after proof after proof, right? Unless you start to make them prove their rationality of their position. Yeah. Uh huh. 
is how much do you know about everything in the world? Everything. What percentage do you know? It's, it's thought that the most intelligent person only knows about 5% of everything in the world. And out of that 95% that you don't know, is it possible that there's evidence about God? Mm -hmm. That's the question I pose to this person. He's been thinking. I'm, I'm conversing with him. Yeah. And he's been thinking. I'm supposed to meet with him probably in the next two weeks or so. Breakfast or lunch with him. So it, it, it honestly, yeah, Mike. In the argument, trying to disprove God would be creating life in a test tube. And as we were talking about before, combining amino acids right. is one of the steps in producing life. Right. Now, they've been able to combine amino acids in a test tube, and this was done decades ago. Mm -hmm. And they said this is the first step in developing life. And those decades that have preceded the amount of knowledge about how complex human life really is. When I went to school, you know, beginning of college, it was thought that most of your DNA coded for nothing. It was just there, had no purpose whatsoever. <laughs> and now as time goes on, right. everything in that DNA has a purpose, and it's billions of bits of information. And at that same time, you see the complexity of life increasing so much, the progress in creating life from a test tube has stopped. It's still just combining random right. Acids. Right. It has not progressed when the complexity has. And so that, in fact, is disproving their argument that you can create life in the testing. Well, and, and even then, if you take a look, if you guys remember the first week when we went over all the different logical fallacies, the huge logical fallacy posited in evolution is a big bait and switch. I'll give you an example, okay? When you're talking about evolution, you need to define your terms. First, there's cosmic and stellar evolution, there's planetary evolution, and then there's biological evolution, okay, or chemical. They will give examples such as MRSA, methicillin-resistant staphylococcus, right? This, this is a bacterium that is resistant to a specific antibiotic. And they'll be like, there you go. Life has evolved. No, it's adapted. That, however, does not prove what scientists have proved in the Big Bang theory, that there are three chemical elements that have made up the Big Bang, hydrogen, helium, and oxygen. Where and how is it possible that the other 90 in the periodic table of elements comes from, from three? How is that possible? But they will use the bait and switch proving that we have adaptation, for example, like with uh, um, antibiotic-resistant bacterium, to now we have chemical and stellar evolution. It does, yeah, Gabe. But the original question from Lori is, what do you say to the atheist that says, God doesn't exist? I ask him to prove it. Why? Why? Why doesn't God exist? I just wanted to say, too, some of the people I've run into is, is like, is people say, like, they're okay with not knowing. And I just, I guess, I would just encourage people that there is a sense of urgency. Yeah. It's, it's not okay. Being on the fence is the devil's real estate. <laughs> he owns the fence, so that's not a good place to be. No, not at it's all. Not knowing you're an agnostic, not an atheist. Yeah. 
And and, and just you get them to the point where they're saying they don't know. That's the whole point. Right. right. Because because then that opens the conversation. So Lori, if you're talking to an atheist and you're asking him to prove why God doesn't exist, prayerfully in his answers, he's going to start to realize the holes in his logic and be like, "Well, I can't prove his non-existence." Okay, maybe I can only just prove I don't have enough evidence to believe yet. Then there becomes an awesome open conversation, right? So if there were a logical argument that proved that God did not exist, it either has not yet been made known or it just flat out doesn't exist. If it were known, then it would definitely be in use by atheists and we would know about it. But since no proof of God's non-existence has been successfully defended by atheists, we can conclude that thus far there are no logical proofs for God's non-existence. So if faith alone, then the position is not held by logic or evidence, and it is an arbitrary position. So let me flesh that out. We believe that God was the uncaused first cause of life on this planet. Atheists we use the same word, believe that the universe itself is the uncaused first cause. We both have faith. And it's just opposite ends of the spectrum is all. Okay? My view, I believe that my version of faith is more logical. How is it more logical? I once had a conversation with an atheist and asking them the same question, prove to me the existence, the non-existence of God. They said, well, I, you know, where, I asked them, where did life come from? Well, that's a great question. Billions of years ago, you know, water formed and rained down on the rocks and formed this primordial ooze and out from it came the first amoeba. And you guys know the, know the history of this, right? Right. And they asked me, well, where do you believe life come from? Well, I believe in the beginning God created. Well, see, that's just as insane. I'm like, I don't think so. Because at least my creator has an intelligence. I believe in the beginning God. You believe in the beginning dirt. Or nothing. Or nothing. Just pure logic would dictate it's more plausible to have an intelligible, purposeful, creative act rather than a random string of acts that has no purpose, rhyme, or reason, or no cause or beginning. So if by a combination of evidence, logic, and or faith, then according to the above analysis that we went over, neither is sufficient to validate atheism. A combination of insufficient means, it doesn't validate atheism. Yes? I'd say, if somebody actually claims to believe in logic, the best thing to do is... Uh, has to put, put together a consequence type thing. Yes. Like, for example, if you don't believe that jaywalking is illegal, go ahead and try and see how long you last before you get hit by a car, right? Right. So, this is something I've used multiple times. I say, okay, let's say that you and I both live full lives. We both do what we think is best. I believe in God, you don't, and then we both die. Mm-hmm. If you're right, I live the full life, and I die, and I go to the earth, and that's it. And you do the same. But if I'm right, then I go to heaven, and you don't. Right. Where do you want to put your like, Exactly. What, what is exactly. more logical to do then? Right? I know. And then the, the other thing I would say is, um, historically, evolution started because man didn't want to believe in God and what that meant. 
So if we treat evolution as a science, we can run into problems, but if we, if we treat evolution as something that man created so that he would not believe in God, then it makes more sense why they would believe in such illogical things. And they absolutely do. Um, I can't remember his name. Mike and I looked it up. Um, he's an evolutionary biologist, and he's, he's the author of textbooks. Not, not a really famous one, but he is an evolutionary biologist. And he was going over the origin of life on this planet. Yeah, Mary. There are lots of religions in the world, right? But yes. they even made up all kinds of things. And I've, I've heard that a lot of people think Christianity is like people's little baby blanket that they hold close <laughs> to comfort them that their life has meaning and that when they die, they'll get to go to heaven, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about heaven. It's not really about truth. It's not about whatever. And one thing for me, and I know I'm not the same as a lot of people, I would prefer to do whatever I want to. Like, right. I, you know, I, you know, in, in some sense, sometimes I've had to test my Christianity because I've come to it more from logic and, and being like, it, it's the reality and now I have to actually put my faith in, in God. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder if letting people know, like, um, I wouldn't mind not believing in God if you could tell me how exactly that would work because I haven't found a way to believe that in a way that actually fits reality at all. Right. You know, that kind of... And, and I have a unique position because I've been on polar opposite ends, right, um, in, in my life. And the quote I was going to um, mention when Mike and I researched, like I said, this, this evolutionary biologist, he was talking about the origin of life on this planet. And he says, um, there are only two possible explanations for life on this planet. One, a special creative act by God, or two, um, spontaneous generation leading to the production of life. Now we know that spontaneous generation was disproven hundreds of years ago by Francisco Reddy, Louis Pasteur, Madame Curie, and others. So that only leaves one plausible explanation, that a, a special creative act by God leading to the existence of life. However... I do not wish to believe in God, so I choose to believe what I know to be scientifically impossible, spontaneous generation leading to the existence of life. And that was my position at that point, right? I chose what I knew to be an impossibility because it just fit how I was living my life a lot better, right? Well, sounds like we're done. (laughs) Yes. I would disagree. There's no other, they have not had a proof of any life in the planet. Why is it that this planet is almost like Yeah. Well, well, science hasn't proved there isn't. There isn't what? Right. So that goes back to the logic. Oh, it absolutely does. Right, and in my view, that completely disproves evolution because it's so astronomically impossible to have life existing otherwhere else. You have to have very, very specific causes. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't work. <laughs> Yes. 